the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's 804. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered, because he saw him who is invisible. The cry of my heart today is for revival. Revival. 
for the Shekinah glory of God that we might see and understand the task that is set before us else this nation will be destroyed the judgments of God will fall upon it I'm praying for judgment under repentance not judgment under destruction now I am going to compare with you today the Shekinah glory of God in the baptism of the spirit for Moses for it is the same as for us today always the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the work of the gospel it is not for a high mountaintop experience it is to be given the power to do the work of the gospel that is what baptism in the spirit is all about when I hear someone say oh pastor don't worry I was baptized in the Holy Spirit I say right where's your flock you grieve the spirit away because you did not understand that you were not being given a toy. You were not being given some kind of spiritual high. You were, begin, you were to be given the power to speak the word of God with such conviction and such passion and such unction that men and women would repent in tears and turn unto the living God. So when we read this out of Hebrews the 11th chapter, there are several things I want to acknowledge. When Moses had grown up, he made a decision. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised to be the prince. He was raised thinking that he would probably become the next Pharaoh. The Pharaoh at that point had no son. This would have been the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he would have taken the place of Pharaoh. He made a decision to say no. You cannot have the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you are afraid to make those tough choices where you say no to that job that consumes you day and night, because you want money or you want power or prestige or ambition. And it's also worth noting that as we think about this, essentially Pharaoh was Moses's grandfather. So you can imagine the strong pull and family pressure that there would have been for Moses to stay in the family. So it does show that Moses had to be very courageous for the Lord to actually make this decision because he was going against his entire family. And you will not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit unless you are willing to say no. And that may mean saying no to your family. It probably will mean saying no to your family. And it may say no to a job, to a career. Do you want that career or do you want the Holy Spirit to be empowered for the work God has called you to? Now, let's go on. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He recognized that he would only be favorable for 
a few short years. He also recognized that if Pharaoh had his own son, they would kill Moses. He didn't want Egypt. He wanted heaven. He wanted the God of heaven. He goes on. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Are you willing to face the disgrace of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and then having as the sole focus of your life everything else coming in the train of this one decision that you will fulfill the gospel commission wherever you are. So let's say you're working in a government office. Are you willing to face being fired because you're sharing the gospel? Are you willing to be shamed in your job, in your career? What about a business where you have clients? Are you willing to lose a client because you speak forthrightly to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you really want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you really want heaven instead of the recognition and ambition and power of being an American? Moses made tough decisions. And then by faith, he left Egypt Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. See, these are things that you must make a decision about before you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with a compromised heart, with ambition burning in you to make money. If ambition burns in you, you are blocking and grieving the Holy Spirit. Now let's look some at at the story of Moses. What happened when when he went out into that wilderness to herd sheep? You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We are Pastor Ray Greenlee and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. And we'll be sharing with you some reflections that are inspired by A.W. Pink's book, Gleanings and Exodus. This is from Exodus 3.1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. From Egypt to the backside of the desert, From the palace with Pharaoh to the sheepfold was a radical change for Moses, who was yet to fill so important a role. Tending flock seems a strange preparation for one who was to be the liberator of a nation of slaves. And again, we're reminded of how different are God's thoughts and ways from man's. And the ways of God are not only different from ours, but they are obnoxious to the flesh as genesis 46:31 tells us every shepherd is an abomination to the egyptians 
So in other words, Moses is leaving Pharaoh and becoming a shepherd. He pretty much went the lowest of the low. He could not have gone any lower. Thus God leads his servants to take the very place which is hateful to people in the world. So while Moses is in the backside of the desert, the din and the noise, the bustle and confusion of Egypt did not fall upon his ears in that distant place. The crash in the monetary and commercial world was not heard there. The sigh of ambition was not heard there. The world's fading laurels were not there to tempt him. The thirst for gold was not felt there. The eye is never dimmed with lust, nor the heart swollen with pride while tending sheep in the desert. Human applause does not elate, nor does human censure depress there. In a word, everything is set aside, save the stillness and light of the divine presence. God's voice alone is heard. God's light is enjoyed. His thoughts are received. This is the place to which all must go to be educated for the ministry. And there all must remain if they would succeed in the ministry. And we have several examples of this in Scripture. You have John the Baptist, who is out in the desert, living a very obscure life until he was called by the Spirit to go forth and preach. And then he did not go to Jerusalem to preach. He just preached there beside the Jordan. I picture it now in my mind, a a train load of camels coming, and they come to the water. And there they find John the Baptist, dressed like an Old Testament prophet, which he was. And he begins to proclaim to them, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the Spirit of God is so mighty upon him that they're convicted and they, they fall on their knees. They begin to repent. They make decisions. They're baptized. And the way is prepared for Messiah. And then we find the example of Jesus himself as he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. The Holy Spirit falls upon him like a dove and he is then led by the spirit out into the wilderness there to be tempted by the devil it was the preparation for what Jesus was called to do he was a man without sin but he still had to grow up he still had to walk clean in maturity before God to do his job So you may indeed choose to go on a spiritual retreat or to go camping on a mountain somewhere. But the principle here is that we have to choose to withdraw ourselves from the world in order to be in a place where we can then encounter God in this power and baptism of the Holy Spirit. So at a minimum, that means we're going to be pulling out of social engagements that normally would consume our time. You know, it could be like going bowling with your coworkers, 
going to a wedding reception. None of these things are sinful in and of themselves, but there's, as it says, there's the din, the noise, the confusion, the activity, the bustle, and that all has to be voluntarily withdrawn from so that we can really seek the face of God. And so that's probably going to look like you're spending some time alone. It might be on your living room floor. It might be in your bedroom. But you're going to be spending some significant time alone with God. Likewise, it may mean, no, it will mean, that you voluntarily make the decision to go to the far side of the desert. Nobody drove Moses to the far side of the desert. Nobody drove Moses into the desert. No one forced him to make the decision that he would leave Egypt. Do you understand? If you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you want the Shekinah glory of God upon your life, you're going to have to go where you can spend considerable amount of time alone with God. He does not come in the midst of the hustle and strident life. He doesn't come there. So it may mean you're going to have to turn most of your radio and television off. You're going to have to stay away from your internet. You're going to have to stop watching all of those YouTube videos. You're going to have to separate yourself from the world and take some significant time on the far side of the mountain just to be with God so you can hear what he wants to say to you. And you can say to God what you need to say out of the depths of your heart. You need time with the Lord God of heaven if you're going to be prepared to be baptized by the Spirit. Yes, and you may have heard us refer to waiting on the Lord or waiting on God, and that's the kind of waiting we're talking about. It's an active waiting where you're focused on the Lord, you're separated from sin, you're separated from the world. It's not a passive waiting where you're just going about your daily life and hoping that somehow out of the blue, God's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. No, you're giving your time and your energy. I mean, when I, when I look back over my life, the major transition points of my life have always been accompanied by a long period of time just isolated and waiting before God. Oh, I still preached on the sermon. I still did radio. I still did the basics that I had to do. But all the rest of the time, I spent alone with Jesus I know that when I was in full-blown, successful ministry in a large church, ambition would rise up in my heart. And I would begin to reach out and grab what I thought I needed and what I wanted. And the sternest rebuke of God would come to me. For he would not bless me in that ambitious state it would grieve him from me if you want God you're going to have to put God up 
as number one and everything else becomes secondary to that search to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to the story of Moses. So Moses is out in the desert tending sheep. And in this place of, we could call it retirement from the world, Moses spent 40 years of his life. So in this place, every opportunity for communion with God was afforded. Here, Moses learned the utter vanity of human resources and the need for entire dependence on God himself. To be much alone with God is the first requisite for every servant of his. But why is it that no details are recorded of God's dealing with his servant during this period of time? We don't really know what was happening with Moses and God in this period. Is that because God's dealings with one of his servants are not fitted to another? In other words, if we had recorded in the book of Exodus everything that happened between Moses and God, we might be apt to try to just blueprint or photocopy that over our own life. But the fact is that there's no uniform curriculum in the school of God. So each servant of God is dealt with according to his or her individual needs and disciplined with a view to the particular work which God has for him or her to do. And I think this is also why we don't have a lot recorded about what was happening in the upper room. Because God is trying to avoid us, you know, developing a methodology or step one, two, three. But it really requires this individual refinement by God on each of us. So the book of Exodus chapter three, verse one says, as he led and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Horeb was the name of a mountain range, and Sinai, the mount of God, was a particular peak in that range. This was the same mountain where centuries later the Lord met and commissioned Elijah. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Exodus 3, 2 and 3. Here was a wonder which all the magicians of Pharaoh could not produce. Here was something which must baffle all the wisdom of the Egyptians. This was a manifestation of God himself. The Hebrew word here for bush occurs in only one other passage, which is Deuteronomy thirty-three sixteen, And for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof, and for the good will of him that dwell in the bush. In that verse, the word for dwell is shachin. It was then the Shekinah glory, which was now displayed before the wondering eyes of Moses. So in other words, when when Moses saw the flaming bush, it wasn't just a normal flame of fire, but it was the Shekinah glory of God that he saw. This is the meaning of the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame, here manifesting the Shekinah glory. And this angel of the Lord, we know, is none other than the Lord Jesus himself, 
for in verse 4 he is de denominated Lord and God. This sets forth a truth of vital moment to Moses, the servant of God. Before Moses can be sent forth on his important mission, he must first behold the ineffable glory of God. Likewise, to serve acceptably, we must work with an eye single to God's glory, but to do this, we must first gaze upon that glory. So we also have to have this encounter with the Shekinah glory of God, just like Moses did. The same thing happened with Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And the same thing happened in Acts chapter 9, when the apostle was sent to the Gentiles, and there was the what we call the Gentile baptism with Cornelius and his household. A vision of the glory of God is an essential prerequisite if we are to serve God acceptably. So when we look in the third chapter of Exodus, we see Moses has led his flock to the far side of the desert. So Moses is now shut away with God. It is on the mountain of God. It's at Mount Sinai. In this place, Moses has forgotten all of his self-importance. He's put aside all of his ambition. He's not hungry for the world. He's made a decision to turn aside from the world. And it's here that the angel of the Lord, or pre-incarnate Jesus, appears in the flames of fire from a bush. I find it striking that Jesus would choose to appear in Shekinah glory in a bush, probably a thorn bush. We're really seeing the great mercy of Jesus that he would come and die on that cross and have a, a crown of thorns put on his head. Jesus is Shekinah. He is the glory of God. He is God. And so we find Jesus coming on that cross. And the most beautiful expression of Shekinah glory is seen on that cross with the crown of thorns. Jesus is the fire of God. Now, Moses, he sees the bush. It's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. Fire is also a symbol in Scripture of of judgment, of righteousness, of holiness. The bush should have been consumed. Why wasn't it? It was a common bush. It was a thorn bush. Why wasn't it consumed when the holiness of God came? Because it was a looking ahead 
to when Jesus would come. And he would not come to consume us. He did not come to condemn us. He came to save us. John, he came to save us. Everything that Jesus did was redemptive. What Jesus is doing now with Moses is redemptive. Why do I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because I want the Shekinah glory of Jesus to rest upon me for the redemption of this lost world. I care that people are dying of cancer. I care that people have their families broken apart with bitterness and wickedness. I care that parents are divorcing. I care that little babies are being murdered as they're aborted by our wicked culture. I care, and I want to see redemption. I tell you, once you get once you get in your heart the redemptive love of Jesus, you'll be overcome by it. You'll be like Moses. You'll give anything. You'll do anything. You'll, you'll make every decision to be a part of what God is doing instead of what Satan is doing. I am so sick of sin. I heard about one preacher who stood up and said, It is so stupid to sin. That's true. It is so stupid to sin because it's of the works of darkness. It brings misery and hurt. So when a lying preacher tells me, you're going to always be a sinner, Ray. You can be saved, but you're always going to be a sinner. I say, get thee behind me, Satan. It's stupid what you're saying. It doesn't make any sense. My Savior, my Jesus, was one who came to redeem and to redeem completely and totally from every power of darkness. So I stand by faith for that complete healing of the works of Satan. So Moses sees this. Do you want to share more from Pink? Yes, and when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now this is interesting because God appears to Moses in the burning bush and then because of Moses' response that says the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God then calls to him out of the bush. So we see that there's this cooperation between Moses and God in this passage. So this is significant to us because we can imagine that if Moses had not turned aside, even if he had just been afraid and he'd run away, but if for some reason he had not turned aside to see, God would probably not have appeared to him again. So this is significant for us that we be careful not to miss the time of God's visitation to us. Now we also see that Moses had to put off his shoes, which we understand as our shoes are what we wear as we just go about our daily life, our everyday activities, our everyday walk, our everyday life. 
we have to put that aside and draw near to God in the spirit of true worship. Another important lesson. Uh, could mm -hmm. I intervene? Mm -hmm. It's it's vital today that you get a picture in your mind. Going to the far side of the desert, going to the mountain of God, being isolated from the wickedness of the world, of seeing the burning bush, of your heart responding to the Shekinah glory of God. And then you're warned, don't come closer. Don't come closer. Take your shoes off. You can't get very close to God with your shoes on. You can't get very close to God with your shoes on. These shoes represent, these sandals represent what you do day by day just to survive. It's where you walk. It's your ways. Well, what are my ways? It's what I do moment by moment. It's my habit. Some people get up in the morning and the first thing they want is a hot cup of coffee. Now, I love coffee just as much as anybody. But I want to tell you, the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is not want a cup of coffee. I want to get back in touch with Jesus and I want to get updated on anything he wants to say to me. I want to look at his word. I want to enter into praise and prayer and worship. I wake up in the morning and my conscience is clear and clean. I don't wake up in the morning with a guilty conscience. Because God has made me holy. He separated me from all of that foolishness. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm not feeling bad. I am joyful in my heart, regardless of what my circumstances are. I'm there ready to worship my Lord and my Jesus. Do you know how awesome that is? So many years, I didn't wake up that way. I woke up with a guilty conscience. Well, when you come to God, you've got to step out of your ways. You've got to step out of your shoes. And you're on the you're on the ground. I really like that idea, that concept. Your shoes protect you from the earth, from the ground, from the reality. And we have lots of ways that we protect ourselves with credit cards, with programs, with television. We have all kinds of things that we walk in that make our life a little more pleasant. I find I don't want any of that. I want to be at the far side of the mountain and I want to be in the Shekinah glory of God and I don't want to walk in my shoes. And let's keep in mind the reason he had to take off his shoes is because the ground he was standing on was holy. So this shows us that if we are going to endeavor to be true servants for God to go to work for Christ in the, in the vineyard that we have to always have in mind that God is holy, holy, holy. And when we realize this, it's a check 
to lightness, it's a check to levity, to casualness, to distraction, because we have a very solemn, sober view of who God is, and that translates into a solemn, sober view of the dire situation of the lost, of the dire situation of the so-called church, which is not holy. I want to talk about what happened this last Sunday. I've been a pastor for many, many years. I attended a worship service on Sunday like none I have ever experienced in my life. For the first time in my life, it was not a church meeting made up of saints and sinners. Everyone who was in that worship service on Sunday was very clear the donkey spirit has been broken in me I am not walking in any known rebellion against Jesus I have been washed by the blood of the lamb I am clean before him and I am here to worship him and I am here to serve him now many through the years and I confess I've also said this that the church is a hospital for sinners. Did you know that's not biblical? That's not found anywhere in the scriptures. If you read carefully the book of Ephesians, and if you look in other portions of scripture regarding what is the church, the church is the home of the saints. It is the house of God. It's where the righteous are built in as living stones. Now, for many years, I've welcomed sinners and saints to come to a worship service. I want to tell you what the result of that is. One man in particular was constantly in pornography. And I would speak with him over a period of probably my, I'm guessing 15 years, I would speak with him and ask, do you have the victory over pornography? Do you have the victory over clutching onto your stuff? And every time the answer was no. But pastor, be patient. I'm making progress. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you're not spending three hours every night in pornography and you finally have cut it down to one hour a night or are you in pornography only three or four times a week now instead of seven nights a week what's it mean that you're making progress well I'm making progress pastor now I confess my sin I thought I was being loving and kind with that brother to be so patient with him regarding his wickedness but I, in truth, was not being kind to him. I was afraid that if I confronted him too hard, he would leave. And then how could he be converted? Well, that's man-pleasing. I finally came to the position, and Alexandra and I both hold this position, and we've had much discussion about this, 
that conversion is not a long, drawn-out process. Conversion is not gradual. You make a decision for Jesus. You choose, like Moses, to leave Egypt. You choose to make a decision that by the power of the blood of Jesus, you are going to give yourself entirely to Jesus and you are cutting off all wickedness. And by the power of the blood, you are released from that wickedness. You are transformed and changed into a saint. Now, you have a lot of growing up to do, but it's not growing up trying to leave your sin. You leave your sin by the power of the blood of Jesus. And you enroll at that point in the school of the Holy Spirit. And he tailor makes the far side of the desert for you. Now, how does that kind of church grow? Well, it grows by your hearing this word and then deciding that you have to be a part of that kind of church and you come and demonstrate that you are sold out to Jesus. Or a man goes to work, talks with a client, shares the gospel, and calls him to leave all sin now, to be born from above, as Jesus said in John, the third chapter. You are born again. You're a new person. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're not the same old, same old. You're not walking in sin anymore. You're walking clean. Now, what a joyous thing it is to walk clean with God's people in the body of Christ and you've left all the world behind. So as we consider what Pastor Ray is saying in the example of Moses, we might identify Moses leaving Egypt and going into the desert as his point of conversion. And then there was this period of time that passed before the Shekinah glory of God was then revealed to him. And Moses at that point was empowered for service. So think about it. Moses' his initial attempt was to kill one of the Egyptians who was oppressing the Hebrew. So that was something that Moses did when he did not have the empowerment from God for service. And it resulted in disaster. The Hebrews did not trust Moses. They didn't. They said, well, are you going to kill us? Just like you killed the Egyptian. He was not able, without the baptism of the Spirit, to deliver his people out of Egypt. Nor did God want him to, because God wanted to display his power and show that it was God himself who led the people out of Egypt. So this second work was necessary for Moses because how could he go up to Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let his people go unless there were signs and wonders? That's what the ten plagues were about. These were the signs and wonders that showed that the true God of the universe, who was more powerful than all the Egyptian gods, all of the Egyptian magicians, all of this false worship that they were doing, Moses needed the signs and wonders to show that it was the true living God who was delivering the people out of Egypt. And also because if it weren't for those signs, Pharaoh would not have feared and he would not have let the people go. 
It's true, Pharaoh could have responded in repentance, but he did not. So the signs and wonders are there in order to actually deliver the people of God. So as we continue with the story of Moses in the desert, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So consider carefully the condition of these Hebrews who were in Egypt. They were crushed by the cruel opposition of Egypt's slavery. They were groaning beneath the iron rod of Pharaoh. And what this is, is a picture of the condition of the natural man, someone who has not been born again, who is a bond slave of sin and a captive of the devil. So this is true not only of the slave of lust or the helpless victim of drugs, but even of those who appear moral and refined. They too are in bondage to gold, to money, to pleasure, to ambition, to their careers, and a dozen other, and a dozen other things. So the affliction which sin has brought is everywhere to be seen, not only in physical suffering, but in mental restlessness, in depression, in discontent of the heart. The varied lusts of the flesh, whether that be sexual sin, whether that be theft, are just as merciless as the Egyptian taskmasters of old. And the sorrows of the slaves of sin today are just as real as those of the Israelites back in the iron furnace of Egypt. So there is a fair surface on, of society, but behind it there is horrible woe. There is fearful misery that has come on the whole race of mankind through sin. There's such a great need for our Savior and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So let's look at the reality. We have decisions to make. God's not going to come and force us. We have to make hard decisions. I just wanted to add, there's an interesting parallel in the story with Moses. So from the time Moses left Egypt, he spent 40 years in the desert before he was then empowered for service. And in the New Testament, we have the ascension, we have the resurrection of Christ followed by 40 days before the day of Pentecost. So it's encouraging because we're looking at a much shorter timeline in the New Testament. Likewise, when Jesus was baptized by John and at the same time was baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was a 40-day period, not 40 years. So that's exciting that in the New Covenant, we don't have to, you know, spend 40 years growing up before God can empower us. But as, you, as we've shared in these stories of revivals, if you've listened to this broadcast for any length of time, you'll notice that it's not uncommon for men and women to be born again and then within a matter of hours or days to then be baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered for service. So 
don't mistake this as meaning, well, you know, there's no hope for me. I just have to wait around for a long time. But this is an encouragement to us to actively seek with our whole heart the baptism of the Holy Spirit because God is willing to give it. The Holy Spirit already descended at Pentecost and now he is waiting to find men and women who will truly give themselves over to the work of God so that he can come and dwell in them. So there's no longer a need for this long delay. But there is a need for very clear decision. You cannot expect to coast along with the Laodicea church, the lukewarm church, and somehow revival's going to mystically come upon you and upon your church. No, you must meet the conditions. And the conditions are very concrete decisions about the way you're going to use your money. You say you believe in revival. Have you placed your money there? You say you believe that the Holy Spirit will come and baptize you. Have you placed your time there? Have you cut off the things of the world? Are you engaged in real prevailing prayer? Are you travailing before God? These are choices and decisions that if you don't make, it'll never happen. You have to make those tough choices. Now, Moses is in the presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God is present. On that day of Pentecost, tongues of fire came and rested on each person. That was the Shekinah glory of God. A mighty wind blew. The presence of God was there and filled each of them empowering them for service. That generation went out and preached the gospel to the entire then known world. Amazing. Paul went out after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went out with Barnabas and everywhere they went, they started a a brand new church and appointed elders and then went back and visited them again, and they were prospering. Why? The power of the Spirit was there. And those new members had been baptized in the power of the Spirit. He's in the Shekinah glory of God. His shoes are off. His sandals are off. And God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. And the Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you understand? That's what revival is. When God comes down and the presence of God is amongst us, he comes to redeem. 
He comes to save. He comes to remove the suffering and to set his people free. God is a God of redemption, of mercy. But he expects you to make those hard decisions. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Again, we're Pastor Ray and Alexandra from the National Prayer Chapel. You can listen to this message again at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. There you will find many of our recent podcasts. You'll find videos all on the subject of revival and of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how it is the privilege and duty of every single Christian to be empowered for service so that there is revival following you everywhere that you go. And if you choose to make that very difficult decision that you want to be a part of church, you're welcome to call. This is not for people who are not free of their sin. This is for men and women who've sold out to Jesus. So call me. Call Sister Alexandra. We'll talk with you and we'll pray with you to determine whether, in fact, this is where you belong. We're praying for revival in Washington. We're praying for the mighty presence of God to come and grab a hold of this city and bring a complete transformation. We want to see the National Prayer Chapel raised up in a day under revival power And you're welcome to be a part of that if you're willing to make the hard choices. If you're willing to seek the Holy Spirit with all of your heart. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. God bless you. God bless you. Join us at the same time tomorrow. You can write to us and we want to hear from you at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Join us for W. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.